You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, I chat with Pat Bevan, a certified trainer with the Center for Nonviolent Communication about nonviolent communication, NVC for short. We talk about what defines violent communication. You might be doing it more than you actually think you are. And its benefit, which is increasing the likelihood of others willingly contributing to our well-being. We discuss recognizing with compassion those who commit physical violence, the four ways that we disconnect from each other, how to use the observation, feeling, need, request framework in everyday communication, and the benefits of self-empathy, empathy, and radical honesty. Here are some quotes that stood out to me from the episode. I would just so much want people to approach all beings with compassion rather than with judgment and blame. What you say is a reflection of what's going on inside of you. My sense of being able to care for myself has gotten so much stronger as a result of NVC. And lastly, we are responsible for our feelings. No one makes us feel a certain way. They might stimulate a thought in us, and that thought makes us feel a certain way. This was a really emotional episode for me. You'll see within the first three minutes, I tear up. Um, I really hope you enjoy listening. I am so glad to be able to bring you this framework and please let me know if you have any feedback. Thanks for listening. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Christina. I'm glad to be here. This is going to be so exciting. I was actually just reading the book that you and I were talking about, Living Nonviolent Communication, and it got me really excited to connect with you about nonviolent communication, or NVC for short. So I would love for you to start by just introducing yourself and telling everyone who's listening a little bit about how you came upon NVC. Okay. Uh, My name is Patricia Bevan, as you have said, and I live in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I'm a certified trainer with the Center for Nonviolent Communication. I started my journey with NBC. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't even think about how many years ago it was. <laughs> seems like a long time. I actually found Marshall's book by accident. Oh. I was looking through a book catalog and saw the title, Nonviolent Communication, and thought, that sounds very interesting. And after I read it, I was so, so interested in learning more about it. There was a small workshop here in town that I took. And then I just continued to practice on my own because Blacksburg didn't really have a lot of NVC trainers. In fact, we only had one here at the time. Mm-hmm. And then if you remember the shootings on campus. Yeah, at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, that was really what gave me the impetus to share NVC with others. And now, and uh, what happened was, I mean, I was so saddened by what had gone on. Mm-hmm. And I was driving down Main Street in my car. And this was, I guess, a couple of days after the shootings. And by that time, of course, there was so much anger, you know, at, at the shooter that, that was going on. Mm-hmm. And I passed one of the big churches and noticed that the number of flags hanging was the number of flags for people that had been killed by the shooter. Mm -hmm. The shooter himself wasn't added to the flags. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I just became very sad with that, that there was so much 
blame and judgment and hatred for this young man. And that was the change. At that point, I wanted to try to see if there was anyone in Blacksburg that wanted to learn NVC. And, and there was. My first workshop was at my church. And then I heard that Virginia Tech had started a center for nonviolence. And I approached the director, and he was very interested in NVC. And I taught a one-semester class over on campus mm-hmm. in NVC. I had an amazing experience with the students when I did that. The director resigned after that semester, and there wasn't a continuation of the class, so I didn't continue to do that. But I continued to offer NVC classes and workshops in this area. And as I continued to do so, I realized that I wanted to very much immerse myself in it and learn as much as I could. And that's when I decided to get certification. Mm-hmm. It's a long process. It's a very deep process of not only learning about NVC, but maybe more importantly, learning about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was such an amazing journey for me to put so many things together about myself and about how I wanted to share NVC. And that's where I am now. I am, you know, I've cut back my teaching because for some health reasons, Mm -hmm. but I'm still excited every time I work with people who are interested in NVC. Well, I am absolutely one of those people. So I am, it's truly an honor to be able to talk to you about it. And I have to tell you, I already teared up in your introduction. And I am really, really glad that you shared the story of Virginia Tech. So you don't actually know this, but I was talking to my mom yesterday and you, my mom is actually the reason that I know you. And she's done some NVC work with you. She and I were actually talking about your start in NVC. And she just mentioned to me in context how the Virginia Tech shootings had been really pivotal for you. And I want to touch on that a little bit more before we dive further into NVC and the theory and the framework, because I'll share a little story if that's okay. Sure. Um, I was at, I've been wanting to go to a Quaker friends meeting for months and months now. And I finally went yesterday, and it was a really, really beautiful meeting. It's for anyone listening who's not familiar with Quakers. I highly recommend looking it up. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about who the Quakers are. But it's really about um, the inner light in each person, and it's a lot about peace and compassion, which I think really mirrors NBC. And in the service or in the meeting, somebody mentioned that at the Gay Pride Parade, somebody had pulled a gun out. And I think that that's actually not true. I don't think anyone actually pulled a gun. But I was really saddened in that moment by that story. And my mind, of course, went to the thousands of people who were part of the gay pride parade who were there to celebrate their sexuality. But my mind also went to the person who pulled a gun. And I think it's really easy for us to overlook the perpetrators or to condemn the perpetrators. And I think it's a really natural reaction. But I'm really curious. I'd love to ask you a little bit more. Why was it so important to you that the gunman be recognized in in the flags and just in in the whole Virginia Tech? It was it was it's important that people who do things that injure other people or other beings of any kind be 
and recognize with compassion from my perspective because I believe that when people do something like that, they are in pain. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean physical pain, generally, but emotional pain. They're caught up in blame and judgment, as many of us are. And the things that have, in one way or another, happened in their lives have led them to do something. And in, in the case with the shooter here, which, you know, violence, to use a gun to kill people. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that they can think of. And again, I'm not saying they're thinking clearly, okay? Right, of course, yeah. But that's the only strategy, if you will, that they can think of to try to meet a need. And they might not even be aware of what need they're trying to meet. That's mm-hmm. usually part of the, the, the just such, you know, just such saddening issues is we don't get in touch with ourselves. We lash out at other people as a way to protect ourselves. And when that lashing out is a violence, we injure, you know, other people physically. If the lashing out is words, we may injure them emotionally. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want anyone that commits a, a crime of any sort or, or an injustice of any sort to be recognized as someone who is suffering, mm-hmm. as someone who is as Marshall would say, doing the best they can, given their internal resources at the moment, to try to meet a need. And what's so unfortunate in these cases is the internal resources that these people have are probably very limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in touch with themselves. They, they're not able to see other people with compassion. They're able to see other people also with with hate and judgment and blame Mm -hmm. and to try to protect some part of themselves emotionally or physically, they go to violence. And I just wish everyone would begin to, to open and allow themselves to see that that people that are committing crimes need our help. I'm not saying we shouldn't you know, also keep ourselves safe, you know, and, and, and keep them away from society. But I just would so much want people to approach all beings with compassion rather than mm-hmm. with judgment and blame. And that's one of the biggest things that NBC provides tools for to learn how to do that. I love that you specify that it's about internal resources, because I think a lot of people hear resources and they think, well, maybe they have a supportive family. Maybe they grew up with two parents. Maybe they um, have financial resources. But I really like that you specified that it's about internal resources yeah. and that and that is not always directly correlated to external resources. No, it's, it's not at all. When you think of, you know, so many different people from so many different walks of life and background have created, you know, have gone to violence, have chosen violence as a way to think they're solving a problem. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really interesting that you picked up the book, you saw the title, and it really intrigued you because uh, several times when I've mentioned this conversation to friends or to, to people in my community, they've had an interesting reaction to the word violent. Uh And 
the last conversation I had about nonviolent communication, the person responded with, well, I hope most communication is nonviolent, but I would assume that Marshall and that you might say, actually, a lot of communication is very violent. But I think that we have to clarify what the word violent means in this context. So can you say a little bit more about what violence is, obviously, outside of the physical violence? Okay. Marshall had a lot of a struggle coming up with what to call the ideas and processes that he was coming up with. And he used Gandhi as a guide. And that's why he was calling it nonviolent communication. Mm. Because there's to make, to actually, I guess, get across the idea that it's anything. You know, nonviolent communication is is the opposite of violent communication, and but there's it's so difficult to describe it in terms other than with a negative because it mm-hmm. includes so much. But then, so does violent communication from the perspective of of Marshall and and this is Marshall Rosenberg I'm talking about who was the who developed NVC. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even Gandhi himself recognized that. When we use language that judges people and blames people and the intention of which is to cut someone down, that's violent from an NVC perspective. Mm -hmm. It can stimulate pain, emotional pain in someone. So any kind of speech like that, so much of what we see now in everyday life you know, in the entertainment arena, in the political arena, if you watch television, if you go on social media, you see line after line of speaking to someone from a place of what's wrong with them, how they're not right, how you think they're bad, how you think what they do is stupid, all Mm -hmm. of that kind of conversation from an NBC perspective, is violent. Mm-hmm. Now, some people are going to say, I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And Marshall actually said that, you know, for many people, be, being honest in their communication is telling somebody what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And Marshall recognized with all of the study that he did, and of course he was a PhD in psychology, that what you say is a reflection of what's going on inside of you. That even, even the ancient Greeks knew this. You know, Epictetus you know, has, has a quote that goes something like, you know, it's not life that affects you badly, it's how you, in, you, know, how you, how you think about it. That, that affects you. And Marshall recognized that, that it's not what someone else does or says that obsesses, upsets us, excuse me. It's how we take that in, how we interpret. Mm-hmm. And so often, again, to protect ourselves, we learn to interpret things that create pain in us, emotional pain in us, as being somebody else's fault. And so we lash out at them. 
Absolutely. I think that mirrors a lot of what we talk about in life coaching as well, which is that we have neutral circumstances Mm -hmm. and it's our thought about those circumstances that actually causes our feeling. And so a lot of people cut out that middle step of the thought and they think that their feeling is caused by the circumstance. Yes. But what we do is we actually show the client their brain and show them that there's actually a step in between. There's a thought that then triggers the feeling. And I yeah. think that, that that's part of the reason why I've been so intrigued by nonviolent communication is because you and I've talked about this. You have to have the self-awareness piece in order to then articulate out loud your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that only comes by watching your thoughts. Yes. And your feelings. Yes. Because we don't really have pure thoughts. There's, there's always a feeling present. It might mm-hmm. be a very neutral type of feeling, but even that is a feeling. Mm-hmm. So there's always a feeling present. I read a sentence in the book, which I will put in the show notes, Living Nonviolent Communication. And I think it is such an incredible summary of what nonviolent communication is all about. So it says, nonviolent communication is about expressing ourselves in ways that increase the likelihood that others will willingly contribute to our well-being. And then on the flip side, vice versa, so we can receive messages from others that increase our willingness to contribute to their well-being. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more. Would you walk us through the four-step process of how to actually engage with NVC? Okay. When Marshall designed this, and he, he wanted to make it, he wanted to make the framework as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Doing NVC is very, I find, challenging, and most people do, because we're not in the habit of speaking and focusing on the ideas and things that Marshall suggested to hold, come from a place of compassion. Mm-hmm. So he actually said that when you look at NVC, you can look at the four components and the two parts. And the four components are NVC. And these are four things that he wanted folks to put their attention on. And the first thing was observation. What a video camera would see and hear. Mm-hmm. So what, what is going on from the perspective of actual occurrence? Mm-hmm. The second component is feeling. What are our emotions in association with what's going on? And the next component is needs. What deep longing or desire or value are we experiencing or we would like to experience and are not experiencing in association with what's going on and what we're feeling. And then fourth, request. Now that I've collected this information, is there something that I would like to ask of myself or of someone else to help me meet a need? Mm -hmm. or to help move something forward. So those are the four components, observation, feelings, needs, and requests. Mm -hmm. Now those four components are used in both of the parts. And the one part is speaking honestly. So when you, he suggested that when you speak to someone, you let them know, what you're talking about or the observation, when you did this, how you, the speaker, are feeling. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I felt what your need is because I'm really longing for, or I would really like such and such, and then a request, would you be willing to? Mm-hmm. So that's the speaking honestly part. The second part is listening empathically. Now this this part, when I was first learning this, it, wow, it just blew my mind mm-hmm. because I recognized when I would listen, very often I would hear just the words they were saying and take them personally. Mm-hmm. And then also be trying to figure out what am I going to say in response or how am I going to get out of this conversation? My mind would be everywhere. I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. So listening empathically, first of all, involves being right there with the other person, being present with them, and then listening from the perspective of OFNR. But you're imagining what might be going on for them. So let's say the person might be screaming, how dare you do that to me? You have let me down. You had no right to do that. I hate you. Your brain is hearing that. Your ears are hearing that. But when you listen empathically, what you're doing is your heart is looking for what could they be feeling? What might they be needing that is leading them to speak this way because it's the best they know how to do? And finally, is there something I can ask them to help? Mm-hmm. So that's what the listening empathically is. So the four parts, I mean, I'm sorry, the four components and the two parts. Okay. I I really appreciate that breakdown and I, I love the acronym. So just as a reminder, OFNR, mm-hmm. observation, feeling, need, request. And so I, I'm laughing because I've had experience with this myself and in coaching where somebody says, I fe- when you do this, I feel like you're a terrible person. And yeah. I always joke, I'm like, that's not a feeling. That's actually just another thought. Mm-hmm. And it's a <laughs> um, judgment. It's a ju- Yeah, it's a judgment and another thought. And so I think I would say as a society, I would be curious what you say, but as a society, I think we actually have a lot of trouble articulating our real underlying feelings and emotions. I agree. And I've had so many people be frightened when they're first learning this because this is a vulnerable place to really open up and let people know what's going on for you or to ask them what's going on deeply inside of them. And if a person is, if a person is trying to protect themselves emotionally, they're going to shut down when, when they have a tendency to feel vulnerable. So it can be very challenging. Yeah. I want to make this a little bit more concrete for anybody listening. So before we move on to anything else, could we actually just do maybe even a role play or just an example, maybe something that's come up for you or something that's come up with some of the people in your workshop about what an observation a feeling and need and a request might look like and sure. how it could manifest in someone's life. And I think I want to do something else first there, Christine, which sure. actually might help explain things a little more. Perfect. Because one of the other things that Marshall did, and again, NBC was a developing process. You know, he wrote nonviolent communication and he continued to develop, to, to develop things his whole life. He, he died in 2015, so he's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. But he kept developing things and he would come up with different ways to help people understand And one of the things he did was, besides offering these four components, 
OFNR, that he wanted you to focus on when you communicated either with yourself or with somebody else, he also offered an acronym for a way to remember what we often do in our society that's not helpful. And he called them the four Ds. And see if this is, sounds familiar. He said what we often do in conversation, or, or whether that be inner conversation with ourselves or speaking with someone else, we often do one or more of the four Ds. The first D is he called it diagnose. And what he meant by that was any type of blame, judgment, evaluation, generalization, anything that, that was not something you could see, essentially. And how often do we do that? You're awful. Mm-hmm. He's lazy. She's ugly. All of those things are one of the D's in evaluation. Mm-hmm. Then rather than have, have a, a feeling, expressive feeling, so that's kind of the opposite of observation. The next D is a denial of feelings. One of the things Marshall's uh, process teaches is that we are responsible for our feelings, which is what you were saying you teach also. Christina, mm-hmm. with with your coaching, yep. that no one makes us feel a certain way. They might stimulate a thought in us, and that thought then makes us feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Marshall said what we normally do in society, and what we're often taught to do, is deny our feelings. You made me angry. You made me sad. You hurt mommy when you're mm-hmm. not a good girl. We place the blame and judgment for our feelings on somebody else. So that's the opposite of getting in touch with your feelings. Then rather than look for what people need, the third D, so we've got diagnosis, denial of feelings, the third one is deserve. How often do we look at a situation or people and say they deserved this, or he Mm. deserves that, or they don't deserve a thing? And we look at what we want to help or not help people with based on what we say they deserve rather than what they need. And then the final D, which correspond to requests, is demand. How often we do that. And very often, even when we say, oh, honey, would you be willing to? And then honey says, no, I'm busy. And we get angry. (laughs) So, so often we want things to be done our way you know, and now. So Marshall not only said, I would like for you to focus on OFNR, observation, feeling, need, and request, and learn to express that, but be careful, be careful about focusing on the four Ds and expressing that, because it is much less likely to give you a connection with somebody, whether yourself or somebody else. You know, let's say somebody... And one of the one of the favorite phrases that we I think we've all learned is somebody hurt my feelings, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, from an MVC perspective, that's not possible. Right. They may have <laughs> said something that stimulated something, a thought in you, and then you had a feeling about that. Mm-hmm. But that would be another way where you could say to somebody, um, "You trashed me." That's not an observation. So you trashed me. Mm-hmm. And I feel that you have no concern for me at all. So we're not even using a feeling. Right. You deserve to have everybody just say bad things about you for a week. Mm -hmm. 
and then just walk away, which is a kind of a demand. I, don't, I hope these are helpful. I'm actually sometimes, yeah. sometimes I have trouble coming up with, with these things. <laughs> no, it's it's hard hypothetically. No, I think these make these make a ton of sense. And I think they really clearly communicate the lack of OFNR and the four Ds. I'll just speak from experience. I'm always tempted to say, and I think I used to do this a lot more in the past, was um, you, like you said, you hurt my feelings mm-hmm. or you made me feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Um I felt awful when you said X, Y, Z. But how would I turn that around and make that NVC friendly? Okay. Before I say that, let me add one more thing that Marshall Marshall taught. Because we now have the four components, OFNR, and the two parts, speaking honestly and listening empathically. But he added one more thing. And I've heard some trainers call this the NVC dance. And what the NVC dance is, is three options. Three possibilities for responding, no matter what comes at you. And the first is self-empathy. The second is empathy. And the third is radical honesty. Mm. Now, you would use self-empathy, and you'd still be using NBC. Okay, This is listening empathically to yourself, essentially, is what self-empathy is. If you became so upset after you heard what the person said to you that you knew if you opened your mouth... What came out was not going to be compassionate and not going to be helpful. You would probably possibly even say, I'm feeling so triggered right now. I need to spend a little time before we talk about this. Can I get back with you in an hour? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you'd actually go, go and talk to yourself about what just happened. What am I feeling? What am I needing? What do I want? Mm-hmm. Right? If you're relatively centered, if something comes at you that comes from a violent perspective, a verbally violent perspective, then you might choose to do empathy, which is try to get in touch with what's going on for the other person, or radical honesty, which is tell the other person what's going on for you. And in both of those situations, you use OFNR. So if you were going to do empathy, you might say, friend, when I heard you say, and then you tell them what they said, mm-hmm. or if you if they just said it, you could say, when I hear you say that, I feel, and then tell them what your emotion is, not I feel that, or I feel mm-hmm. you, because those are all thoughts. Just tell them what your emotion is, and then tell them what's underneath all of that, what you're longing for. But because I really so would like a sense of uh, connection with you in a way that's not happening Mm -hmm. or some understanding from you. And then make a request. And the request often is what we call a connection request, which would sound something like this. Could you tell me what's going on with you hearing me say that? So you're actually asking for feedback from the person on what you just said, rather than asking for the person to do something. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very important step to find out what's going on with the other person before you say, for example, a a request could be, would you be willing if you're you're starting to feel angry with me in the future, to come and talk to me about it rather than 
other people mm-hmm. first. Okay, so, so that would be a request, and you could go ahead to, to, for action on the other person's perspective. But, you, but your request can also be a request for connection in the moment. So that would be radical honesty, because I, I was saying how I felt, okay? So that would be the radical honesty. Mm-hmm. You're telling the person how you felt about what they just said. And when I say felt, I mean a feeling word, how you, what need has come up for you, and then a request. Okay. Now, if you were doing empathy with the person and they said something, you might go, when you said that, I'm wondering, are you feeling hurt because you just want some consideration in this situation or some support in this situation and you just don't feel like you're getting it? And then you can say, again, you probably want a connection in terms of what's happening in the moment. Could you let me know how that lands for you hearing that, hearing me say that? I want to jump in here because I think that these are so powerful and I always find myself really intrigued by interpersonal dynamics and in in knowing what to say and how to say it and when to say it. It's so fascinating to me. How do you say that without it coming out condescending? Okay. First of all, let me let me do a little teaching moment here. And that would be a, a question that anybody would ask. And if I were, you know, coming from a, a lighthearted NVC perspective, I would say condescending is a judgment. You know, yep. that's coming from you. So mm-hmm. I would never think anything would be condescending because it's not co- coming from me. And, and nothing could, from an NVC perspective, condescending is a judgment. Mm-hmm. So what would be more accurate to say was how could you say something that would be less likely to stimulate pain in the other person? Mm. So, di- so that, that gets at what's really going on. Because what condescending really means, if you would, is that the person that hears it is going to think something and feel something and it's going to be painful. Yes, and it's right? going to be my fault. Yeah. Oh, yes, and that's the <laughs> unjudgment that it's going to be your fault. Right. And another big lesson with NPC, and this is, this is a, I think, a challenging one to learn. And one of the questions that people ask me is, how do we know that if NBC, when will it work? Will it work? Will NPC work? And what do you mean by work? Okay. Mm-hmm. Because if you mean by work that the other person will not be continue to be upset with you, that's really not on you because you don't know what's going on internally for them. If you are able to come from a compassionate place, it may be less likely that the person will remain upset, but it may not because they may be holding so much that no matter what you say, it's not going to get through. And so that's, NBC, you know, working doesn't mean the other person's going to calm down, okay? So you're saying that we don't get to control the other people around us? We can't. This is so disappointing. Isn't it? Yes. (laughs) So I think you may be about to speak to this, so I don't want to interrupt your your flow, but I want to ask, I think that there's, I'm sure many steps to this process. And I think one Mm -hmm. step is not attaching to the outcome, 
which you just alluded to, that you actually don't have control over what anyone else does with the way you practice NBC. And you really don't. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you can speak in a way and you can be in a way that is more likely to foster connection. And what I mean by that, it's more likely to foster connection because you're not saying things that are as likely to stimulate pain in the other person. But it's only not as likely because if the person is holding enough pain and you know contraction inside of them that no matter what they hear, they hear with judgment, you could say anything and it wouldn't make a dent. I really love that idea in NBC that it's about increasing the likelihood. So if I mm-hmm. go back to that first quote that I shared, that was the the summary of the NBC principles, it's about increasing the likelihood. And so mm-hmm. I just find that really honest and really comforting that you can do everything, quote unquote, perfectly, and you still cannot control the outcome. Um, and And it's just about increasing connection. It's not about guaranteeing connection because you cannot guarantee connection. You cannot. And and it may not even increase the connection. Again, if the if the person with whom you're trying to have a connection is blocking themselves mm-hmm. because of the pain that they have inside. And the way to do that is to lock themselves down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not be able to get through. At least not and not for a long time. I'm just going to use you as my teacher for a little bit. (laughs) This is just going to be my personal NBC session. Okay. (laughs) So it's back to the same question where let's say I have perfectly articulated my OFNR. Mm -hmm. I have, I've made the observation. I've stated my feeling. I've I've gotten in touch with my needs and then I've made a request of the other person. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they are not they don't want the connection or they're blocking the connection. Mm -hmm. What is the thing that I do in that moment? Okay. If the person, let's say they, they, uh, and I'll use it, they come back at you with very strong negative language. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then Marshall had a wonderful saying that I've never forgotten. And it goes, it doesn't matter what the other person says to you. What matters is what you say back. Mm -hmm. So what you would do in that moment is you would switch to empathy for the other person. You would completely let go of expressing yourself honestly because you would see that this person, because of the way they chose to speak back to you, was in pain, was in emotional pain and didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would switch to empathy and ask them, you know, I'll use the word name John because it's so common. John, when you say that, I'm wondering, are you, are you just feeling hurt because you really want some consideration around this? He may say something else that is lashing out, that could be termed lashing out. Then you might make another guess. Or you could switch to backing up a little bit and just paraphrasing what he said to get even closer to let him know you understand. Because one of the most powerful things with NVC and why we do empathy is to try to let the other person know we're really trying to understand. We're not trying to judge. We're not trying to blame. We're trying to understand. 
And if what that means is to say something like, I'm hearing you say that you're so angry with her and you just want her to treat you in a way that's more fair. Even though it, it, when we, you know, from an NVC perspective, we recognize that fair is, you know, is a, is a judgment and we recognize all these things. We've mm-hmm. gone back and we said almost exactly what they said to let them know that we're hearing them. Okay. And then they might go, yeah, yeah. You know, she, she's just a jerk. She never listens to me. And then she goes and she talks behind my back. And then we try to understand them again. It's, empathy is about being there with the other person and recognizing that whatever pain is coming towards you, it's, it's, a, it's a protective grade is what it is. Mm-hmm. Because they, they are unable or unwilling to get in touch with, with, with what is underneath it. And rather than judge them, or rather than judge the other person that they're talking about, which is often what people do. Oh, you're so right. You know, she's just a jerk, or he's just a jerk. We try to let them know we accept them the way they are. We may not like what they're doing, all right? That's not, not what I'm saying. But we accept them as a human being, and we're trying to understand them without judgment and without blame. I think a lot about the idea of acceptance, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people hear acceptance and they think condoning. And mm. I actually talked about this. I had a pastor on the podcast, and we talked a lot about how to accept and love somebody when you don't condone their actions. So that was yeah. a topic that we dug into. And I think just to tie it back even to the Virginia Tech um, shootings, it's this idea that you can love somebody or you can seek to understand without condoning their actions exactly it's really recognizing from my perspective that we have a vulnerable imperfect often traumatized human being that we want to hold with compassion Mm -hmm. because we could be in their shoes if things had gone differently in our lives we could be in their shoes we hold them with compassion and at the same time we can abhor the act they did. Mm-hmm. They're two separate things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to touch a little bit more on the idea of needs. So we've mentioned needs okay. in a few different contexts here, but I would love to discuss some examples of needs. And I also would love to have you clarify the difference between needs and strategies. Okay. Needs, I've heard it described in in so many different ways. And I think it really is a difficult word to define. I find it so. Mm-hmm. For me, a need is a deeply held, felt sense of life, of a form of life. Some people use the word values. And in some instances, that would be a synonym for needs. Some people might use the word longing. And in some instances, that might be a word for needs. But it's a life-serving, and I want to say that, it's a life-serving deeply felt sense of aliveness. Some examples of needs, and and holding that definition, see if this makes sense. A need for love. Now, first of all, there's there's a set of physical needs. A need for air, food, water, those types of things. But then the emotional and intellectual needs. 
a need for love, a need for fun, a need for recreation, a need for belonging, a need for compassion, a need for curiosity. All of those things are something that you can't put your finger on. If you notice, they're all the abstract nouns, and that's one way to express them, because they're, they're a very amorphous type of idea. I think we can all sink down inside of ourselves, and even now I, I would ask you to do that, is and, and know what love feels like inside. We've all experienced it, I hope. Mm-hmm. And that's a need. So it really is connected to the body in terms of felt, a felt sense deep in the body. Mm-hmm. So that's what a need is. A strategy is concrete. A strategy is something that you can put your fingers on. And now Marshall, when he talked about strategy, he was really specific. He said, think of a strategy, especially when you express it to someone, so that it is something that's concrete, something that is stated in the positive. In other words, would you please uh, put your clothes in the hamper rather than would you please not leave your clothes on the floor? Mm-hmm. Okay. That it can be done by the person so that you wouldn't ask a two-year-old to do something that only an adult could do. Mm-hmm. And that it be able to be done or committed to in the present. So a strategy is very specific. Let me give you some ones versus the others. Thank you. I Let's start with some physical needs. I really need such sustenance. Oh, I need a Big Mac. <laughs> a Big Mac is a strategy for sustenance. Hmm. I, re- I really need warmth. I need my winter coat. So a winter coat is a strategy for warmth. Mm. I really need you to talk to me now. That's a strategy. The need is probably connection. Mm-hmm. So even though we use the word need and put it in front of a strategy, it doesn't make it a need. It's still mm. a strategy. Gotcha. One of the most famous ones Marshall would use is I need you to love me. That's a strategy. Because we've hooked the need onto a particular person. So Mm -hmm. needs aren't connected to a particular person or place or situation because they're felt inside. I really like that distinction. And in the book, Living Nonviolent Communication, Marshall talks about the example of a husband and a wife Mm -hmm. and strategies versus needs. So Mm -hmm. how, why is the difference so important? Okay. This is, I I keep growing in this area and and getting more and more ideas and insights about this. But I think if we get down to the rawness of it, we choose our strategies because we think they're going to meet a need. Mm -hmm. But very often, we're not aware or we're not in touch with the need that we want to meet. And our strategy can be way off. So we start in the wrong place. Mm. That's one reason. The other reason is why I think there's, and, and Marshall recognized why it's so important to know the difference, is how often in this world do we see the fighting and the, the non-cooperation 
because people are stuck on strategies. Think of politics. I mean, that's a big example right now. Mm-hmm. Everything that comes out of Washington is a strategy. I doubt that before they even try to think of those strategies, the politicians are getting in touch with the needs that they're trying to meet underneath those. Mm-hmm. So if we can get in touch with the needs and we can agree on the needs and everybody has the same needs, then we can hopefully recognize that there are innumerable strategies to meet a need and we don't have to hold our strategy so tightly. It's that holding the strategy tightly that creates the physical violence and even the emotional violence and leads to conflicts and wars. I'm thinking of, I'm still thinking of the example of a marriage and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the idea of Mm -hmm. having your needs being met in a marriage. Mm -hmm. So this is a conversation I had with somebody recently actually, is can you expect your significant other to meet your needs in a marriage? What is your take on that? No. (laughs) Why not? Okay, first of all, Nobody is going to meet your needs but you because needs are internally felt. They're not mm-hmm. something out there. Mm-hmm. Right now, now, again, sustenance, for example, is out there. So I'm letting go of the physical needs right now. Uh-huh. But we, we, can, we can want our spouses to act, which means do strategies, hold a strategy, okay, to act, speak, to have strategies that might support our needs, okay? Mm-hmm. But nobody other than yourself can meet a need because a need is something that's inside. And a need doesn't depend on one particular person. So if you're, the minute you say, for example, I want my husband to help me meet my need for um, fun, all right? The trip up there is you just turned that into a strategy because you've landed it on your husband. Mm-hmm. There's, you want to have fun and you would like him to help you support that. But mm-hmm. anybody can help you have fun and you can have fun by yourself. Mm-hmm. But the, the sense of fun happens inside. So it's it's not about projecting our wants and needs on other people. And I think Marshall says it really well in the book. It's about a strategy as a specific person doing a specific action, which is you've said that in a lot of really interesting ways. And so it's it's about taking ownership, mm-hmm. I think, of that that need mm-hmm. and roping other people, and I mean that in a positive way, roping mm-hmm. other people into your needs. How would you say that in a more NBC friendly way? Asking other people. Ah, yes. Requesting (laughs) other people to join (laughs) you in supporting your needs with strategies. Right. Yeah. NBC really, one of the things that I learned from it in terms of growth is my sense of myself. Mm -hmm. Because to really give to other people, I believe that you have to have a very strong sense of yourself so that you're not clinging, right? Yes. My sense of self and my sense of being able to to care for myself 
has gotten so much stronger as a result of NVC. And that has led to my being able to ask other people to join in strategies that will help me feel cared for. Mm. If you would be willing to share some examples from your own lives of times that you have requested that other people help you meet a need, Mm -hmm. that would be really awesome to make this concrete. Okay. Um, Let me me go with with my husband and me Mm -hmm. because I'm the NVC practitioner, the formal NVC practitioner in our family. Mm -hmm. I hold Dave to be a very compassionate person, but he uh, is not as versed in the, the specific ways of thinking. He's also a very inner man. He doesn't express a lot. And, and I found a lot of men to be that way. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've found and I've learned, I've been able to do is if I express something to Dave, I'm able to ask him, like I will be telling him how I'm handling a situation, for example, okay? And I'll express how I'm feeling about something. You know, hey, you know, honey, when I, when I think about what's happened, I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling so confused around this or, or so upset around this. Mm-hmm. And I'm really wanting self-acceptance. And then a lot of spouses, especially, they'll stop. And they have this idea, based on everything that we've seen in television or whatever, that the other person's supposed to know exactly what they want back. Mm-hmm. And that, from an NBC perspective, is not probably the way to go to get what you need. So what I've learned to do is really ask Dave, would you let me know what you think about what I've said? Mm-hmm. Or would you reflect back for me what you what you heard me say? In other words, I've been able to ask him for the kind of response that I think would would help me meet my need for connection or understanding or self-acceptance or whatever it might be. So that that is something that has been such a huge help for me. Mm-hmm. to be able to ask somebody to tell me what's going on with them or what they heard me say rather than just let it land. That for me is, has been much more of a challenge than asking for somebody to, to, to consider an action. That for me has been pretty easy. Now, what I did then, I was first learning to do this with Dave. I wanted him to make darn sure that he knew that it was a request. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, for example, oh, there's a horse show down in Salem. And I'm so excited about the possibility of just going and just having so much fun. So now what I did there was in a colloquial way, I said my feeling and my need. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, would you be willing to go with me on Saturday? And right after that, I would say, and knows an acceptable answer. Oh, I like And that. I'd smile. I wanted him to know that if he said no, that I wasn't going to get all upset with him. And, yes. a, lo- and a lot of times he would go, not my thing. <laughs> and that's when you, re- you're, you're really have to kick in with, he, is, he, do, he, the spouse, does not have to be the one 
to join me in strategies to help me meet needs. It can be anybody else. So in other words, I was honoring his needs as well as my own Mm -hmm. by letting him say no. I'm really curious, over time, have you built up that trust and that honesty enough that you can let go of that final, that little tail end, it's okay if you say no, and he just knows that it's okay? Oh, yeah. I don't use that all anymore. Got it. Got yeah. it. I love that. And, and I find I find it in some ways amusing that we all have, we all have a sense of doing that mm-hmm. because what we recognize in our society, that's so often... Again, we're told, be nice, don't upset the other person. And so we're, we recognize that the person might say yes when they really don't want to. Absolutely. And there's baggage there when they do that, even though they might hide the baggage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've experienced that quite a bit in different relationships with, with myself and with other people where people are meeting each other's needs, but feeling very resentful about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been doing a lot of work to untangle my my desires and my needs and interests from other people's requests. Mm-hmm. And I think I now when I meet requests, I would say 99% of the time I joyfully meet the request. And I, and I articulate that because I've been doing the work mm-hmm. that allows me to to make an honest decision. Yeah. And that honest decision, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that you've taken a look at what needs of yours you would meet by helping the mm-hmm. other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't articulated it like that, but absolutely. And I'm also really careful. I think this is back to your point that this is an internal process as much as an external process. So if I say something like, I'm happy to help you move on Mm -hmm. Saturday, I used to say things like that really offhandedly without a lot of thought. Mm -hmm. And now if I say, I would be happy to come to your event, I make sure I do a little ethics check. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Martha Beck, but she has an ethics check. Mm -hmm. And so it's running everything through that lens of, is this honest? And so if I say, I'm happy to be there, am I actually happy to be there? And then I go through the check process and I'm like, yeah, if I say it, then I'm going to feel it. So that's been really empowering for me. That sounds like a wonderful thing to, to use to help you get in touch with what you actually want to do mm-hmm. and remain true to yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. So Pat, thank you so much. These have been amazing resources. The acronyms and the frameworks have been really helpful and I'm sure that they're going to be really powerful for everyone listening. And in closing, I'm wondering if you can share any final resources that you think would be helpful for anyone who's interested in probing more into NBC. I have uh, two resources and they're both web resources. And the one is the website for the Center for International Center for Nonviolent Communication. And on that website, you'll find information about NVC. You'll find information about trainings and where they're going to be held and trainers. You'll find information of uh, resources that you can use. It's the International Organizations website, and that's a wonderful place to go, especially to find if trainers in your area because you can search for trainers by area. Mm. 
The other website that I have is called NVC Academy. It is an online resource of thousands and thousands of articles and some and workshops, some shorter, some extended, that are available for for listening for a a fee, and the fee is just to join NBC Academy, and it's relatively a minor fee. Perfect. And for everybody listening, those links will be in the show notes as always. So thank you so much, Pat, for those resources. I'm excited to check them out myself. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, any final closing thoughts before we sign off? Who? Um, I guess the one thing that I have is that NBC for me is a way of walking through life. I mean, it's it's a it's more than just a, a set of processes because you actually take them into your bones, mm-hmm. and the connection and the compassion and the clarity that has increased in my life have been so much a part of learning NBC. Other things are involved as well. But Marshall gave us a whole set of tools to actually think about things in a different way. And uh, that's, that's a gift that I'm forever grateful for. Well, I am too. So thank you so much for passing that on. I'm really excited to continue to dig into NBC and practice it myself. I know that it is that lifelong process. So I will be actively working on it. If anyone else is interested, you're always welcome to reach out, send us an email, and we're always happy to continue the conversation about NBC. So thank you so much, Pat, for joining. It was lovely having you on today. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.